There will be signs in the sun, moon, and stars. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. When these things begin to take place, stand up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that the summer is near. Even so, when you see these signs, these things happening, you will know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man, the Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I, I have something to share with you, and I, I don't want to sound too prideful or anything, but I recognize when you say that before you say something, you're going to sound a little prideful. So forgive me. But, but I, I'm pretty proud of myself. This year is the first time in my adult life that I was the person that most people envy on the day after Thanksgiving. I was that person. And no, it's not because I got a really good deal on something on Black Friday. And it's not because our family's like the one family that ate all of the Thanksgiving leftovers and we're done and we're not going to eat them for the next month. Those are beats to be envied as well. But the reason that I am the one to be envied this year is because for the first time in my adult life, I put up my outdoor Christmas lights back when it was still warm outside. <laughs> I see like two people nodding. Did you, did you put yours up too? Okay, so, so most of us don't do that. And if you are feeling like the envy, okay, first of all, envy is a sin, okay? So repent of that. And, and so is pride, and so I'll repent of that as well. So I know you're feeling it's the only time that I've ever done it in my adult life, probably the only time that I ever will in the future as well. Uh, maybe you didn't get your Christmas lights out yet, but how many of you have purchased most of your Christmas presents, or at least some of them? Show of hands. Okay, there's a few more of you that are a little bit more prepared that way. Um, it's a great feeling, isn't it, to be prepared? It's a great feeling to not even be in December yet and to already have those Christmas presents purchased. And the reason why, whether it's the presents or it's getting the, the lights up on your house outside, is not because any of it looks any different dependent on when you did it, right? Like your lights don't look different on the outside of your house if you put them up at the beginning of November or at the beginning of December. They look just the same. The presents under the tree are going to look just the same whether you wrap them a few weeks ago or a few minutes before the person you're giving them to rips them open. They're going to all look the same. The point is that being prepared doesn't change what's coming, but it does change our experience, doesn't it? Being prepared doesn't change what's coming, but it does change 
our experience. See, my family and I enjoyed the Christmas lights. We did not have a Griswold Christmas experience trying to plug them in and they're not working. We enjoyed them because we were prepared. I haven't bought all of my Christmas presents like many of you, but I have bought my wife Alyssa's presents. I'm already prepared for that. And what that means is that this year I will not be stressing about and looking for a gift in the one or two places that are still open when I finally get around to having the time to figure it out. I will experience giving her that gift. I will experience it. We experienced turning the lights on all because we were prepared. And friends, that's what today is about. That's what today is about. See, you and I know that Christmas is coming. Christmas comes every year. comes on the same day every year, December 25th. And it's just a reminder to us of what actually already happened 2,000 years ago, the birth of Jesus, Sunday school answer. We already know it's coming. We've celebrated it before, and Lord willing, we will celebrate this again. But your ability and mine to enter into this familiar season, to experience it, to find the hope and the joy and the love and the peace is contingent upon how well we prepare. And that's why the season in the church is dedicated to this sole purpose of preparation, this season of Advent. And today is the first Sunday of that season. And our gospel reading is a familiar one, and it's one that's being read in any church that is following the liturgical calendar all around the world today. And at first glance, it might seem like a very unusual place to begin the season of Christmas. Because if you look, if you know anything about this gospel in Luke's gospel, Jesus has not all, not only has he already been born, but he's actually at this point in the story about to die. Just before this, he talks about the coming destruction on the temple in Jerusalem. After this, you see that Judas agrees to betray Jesus, and then Jesus sits with Judas and the other 11 disciples in the upper room for the Last Supper. Chronologically, we're a lot closer to Good Friday and Easter today in our reading than we are to Christmas, and yet, it's in this passage that we find an invitation by Jesus himself, instructing us on how to prepare for his coming. How to prepare for his coming. And since we are a people who live on this side of history, on the other side of Christmas, this passage doesn't just help us to prepare to experience Christmas this year, but it comes to experience the hope as we look to Jesus, as we anticipate his return. And so that's what drives us into this passage. That's the context. Let's take a look at the first few verses again in Luke chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. Jesus says these words. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars, and on the earth nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and the tossing of the sea. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Now these, this apocalyptic language has been and will continue to be until Jesus returns 
the center of much speculation and debate. Every time there's some unusual phenomenon in the sky, right? Someone quotes these passages and says, it's coming, right? It's the end. This is what Jesus said. It's what the Bible says. Every time there's a hurricane, every time there's a tsunami, somebody who's well-versed in the scriptures cannot help but think of Jesus' words of roaring and tossing of the sea. And and on, on some level, we can all relate as we think about the nations being in anguish and people fainting from terror and feeling apprehension over what the future holds. Because that's in our world right now, isn't it? And so we can all relate to all of these things and our question becomes then, what did Jesus mean? (laughs) What does he mean when he brings up these words? And there's a couple of ways to look at it. From a historical perspective, we read these words in two ways. First, we read Jesus is preparing his original audience for a historical event that would take place just about 40 years after he actually wrote these words, after his death and his resurrection and his ascension to the Father. He talks about what would actually happen, that not just the temple in Jerusalem would be destroyed, but the whole city of Jerusalem would be torn down by the Romans in the year 70 A.D. And what this shows us is that this movement that Jesus began as a baby in a manger, this movement that he began through his teachings and taking his rightful place on the throne, this movement that he began by living and dying and rising again would literally cause the world to shake. And not just the physical world, but the political world. When when Jesus came claiming to be a king, the disciples got all excited because they thought, now we're going to be close to the, the power of this new kingdom. And the truth is, they were not wrong in that assumption. It was the same assumption the Roman authorities had and killed Jesus over because they too thought he was on a path to take the throne. They were not wrong either. The difference is that neither one of them had any real understanding of the path that Jesus would take to take his rightful place on the throne and what that path would look like. They thought it was going to be militaristic force. They thought it was going to be economic prosperity. They thought that Jesus would work through instant and oppressive leadership. And they thought those things because those are the same things we think and that we search for whenever we're faced with a problem and we're trying to get to the root of someone who has the power to fix it. And this reminds me of something very superficial. When I was on sabbatical, my family needed a new printer. I think all all of that, like pandemic printing, we were doing everything at home, right? Just killed our printer. And, And I'm a bit of a geek. I've talked about this before. Those of you who are laughing know that a bit is maybe an understatement. I, I'm a geek. And, and, and one thing, I, I, I don't like printers because of all of the different technology that we have to interact with, right? The improvements that have been made to our watches and our phones and our TVs. I feel like printers have not gotten any love. <laughs> like they're the same, same thing that they were 30 years ago. They jam just as often as they ever did. Liquid gold still costs less than buying those ink cartridges. Uh, 
Like all of this stuff. And so when our printers go out and I have to buy a new one, I always drag my feet and I buy one. I try to find the best deal. I want to spend the least amount possible. And so I found one. It was a refurbished printer. It was from like a name brand place. And, and, and it was like a third of the price of what this printer costs new. So I thought, that's great. I bought it. And I took it out of the box when it came. And I set it up. And of course, you can probably guess, it didn't work. <laughs> and so what did I do? I called tech support. And remember, I'm a geek, right? So they went through all the same textbook. You know, they probably pulled out their typewriter, and it had just been written like 30 years ago, right? Like, this is how you fix a printer, because nothing has changed. Did you restart it? You know, did you make sure the drivers are okay? Did you make sure there wasn't a jam? I'm a geek. I'd already done all that. And so I got a little impatient, and I said, I've done all that. I don't want to do this anymore. Let me talk to your manager, manager. One person said Jesus because they were in church and they weren't paying attention. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> this is what we do, right? I said, I want to talk to your manager. The reason why is because I want this fixed right now. And in order for this to get fixed, I've got to get myself as close to the person with the power to fix it as possible. And if I still sound a little annoyed telling you the story, it's because after two months, the printer still hasn't been fixed. And so, so it's a little raw still in this moment. But this is just a printer. This is just a printer. Like, how do we actually face the real problems that we're facing in this world? You've, you've heard it said before, it's a little cliche, don't ask God for patience or he'll give you a reason to use it. You heard that before? It's, it's, it's true. The path to any virtue or the path to hope that we will find here is likely not the path that any of us would choose to take. And the reason why is because from our own limited perspective, we probably don't fully understand the full path that it's going to take to get there. And that's the truth that we find in Luke's gospel today. The disciples are just like us in that way. They want all of their problems fixed. And they want them to be fixed right now. And Jesus will fix their problems. He will fix every problem on the face of the planet that ever was or ever will be. The path to get there just isn't going to be easy. Because as we talked about last Sunday, Jesus came not just to fix what is broken today, but he came to, to fix what is the root of all brokenness and to take it out once and for all. That's why he was born in a manger. That's why he lived. That's why he died. That's why he rose again. And that is why he is coming back. And it's only that that Paul explains, and again, we read this last week, 1 Corinthians 15, 24, then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, for he must reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. That's the end. That's the end. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus shows us the path to the end what the path to the end is going to look like. And on that path, Jesus doesn't promise to take away the struggles on earth. He doesn't promise to take away the struggles on earth. And, and let me just say that I'm probably like most of you. I wish that he did. How many of you wish that he did? Don't you wish he was like a exit, like, like an emergency exit, like, like something we could pull a button, an easy button, right? Like, where's that verse? 
Where can I press that button? Where can I find that release from the challenges? I wish that he said that, but God is not like the printer support manager. I cannot call Jesus and insist that he puts the Father on the phone to fix whatever it is that I'm facing right now, and that's hard. I want to do that. Because there are problems that our world is facing, that my world is facing, that your world is facing that are far worse than a printer. The world can sometimes feel like it's shaking in its foundation. Do you see the signs? Do you see the anguish? Do you, do, do you feel people being afraid? It's all happening right now as we speak. Don't you feel it? Even if you can't put your finger on it, even if you're trying to avoid it, even if nothing is inherently wrong with your world right now in your life, it's just in the air. Like, like, you know, I think about like what happened last week in Waukesha at the Christmas parade. And now I've got something I've got to think about before I bring my children to a parade. Because that was close. First service, I talked to someone whose granddaughter was there and her life was spared because there was a truck behind her. If it wasn't for that truck, she too could have been one of the victims. And these are the things that we're thinking about in our world today. I, I just came out of quarantine. My wife and I both have tested positive for COVID-19 in the last 9, 10, 11 weeks or so. And even though you know we've gotten our vaccines and we know that we're not the demographic as someone who should be too concerned about getting too terribly sick, I have to say, and I've heard this from many of you who've been here already, like, like when you get sick and you test positive for this thing that none of us even knew existed a year and a half ago, this thing that still is, 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 is dominating the headlines and is, is causing all sorts of effects on all of our lives directly or indirectly, let, let alone all of the people who have died from it, it, it causes you to look at it a little bit different. It causes you to think. And I've heard that from many of you who have experienced the same thing. No matter what your opinions are, it causes you to step back and think. Jesus loves the disciples and he loves you and he loves me enough to tell us that in this world there will be trouble. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't tell us about an easy button that doesn't exist. He warns us there will be trouble. And let me just say, that does not mean I am making some prediction that the current conditions that our world are facing are specifically the end time signs that Jesus is warning about. Wow, that pastor just got really interesting, didn't he? It's coming, guys. I will not be that preacher because Jesus also said it's going to come like a thief in the night. It is coming. It will come. But I'm not going to be one of those guys that gets up here and says, this is the end, because I'm not confident enough to make that prediction. I think we'll all know it when it's here. What I am here to preach is to dispel the assumption that because bad things happen, the bad things in the end and all of the bad things leading up to the end, somehow in those bad moments, God is somehow distant from our troubles. I'm here to dispel that truth because we all feel that way in those moments, and yet that is not what Jesus prepares the disciples 
to see. After he tells them it's going to get hard, life is going to be painfully difficult, and he explains how bad the conditions in the world will become, he continues. Let's read again verse 26. I read it before, but I want you to read it again. People will faint from terror, apprehensive of what is coming on the world, for the heavenly bodies will be shaken. That's what's going on. At that time, they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand up, says Jesus, and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Jesus says that the conditions on the earth will be the same for everyone. It's going to be hard. People are going to be, all this stuff, you're all going to see it. It's not going to be, there's not going to be like two different realities, right? It's going to be the same for everyone. But while everyone else is fainting in terror and afraid for the future, those who know Jesus are commanded to stand tall and look up at the sky. And they will see he himself is coming down from the clouds to rescue you. They are to look up to him and they will find that he is coming to be with them. Verse 29, he told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all of the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. In other words, what looks to the outside world like the beginning of winter, what feels like pain and destruction, and is, on this side of heaven, painful and destructive, for the person that is looking for the rescue of Jesus, for the person that is prepared to know that God will save, those are all signs of spring. For those who look to Jesus, trials themselves prepare us for hope. For those who are looking to Jesus, trials prepare us for hope. And it's not unfounded hope either. Look at verse 32. Jesus said, truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Remember, we're looking at two things here. Jerusalem will fall and Jesus will return, right? They faced real challenges in their lifetime and there will be challenges leading up to the return of Christ. He promises this generation will not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Here's the bottom line. In Jesus, pain is temporary. Hope is eternal. Pain is temporary. Hope is eternal. And that is the message that Jesus is sharing to prepare you and I, not just for the end times, but for every hard time in your life. Every struggle, every moment of loneliness, every moment of pain, Every moment where your world is shaking, this is the message for you as well. And because you and I are now prepared, Jesus says, lest we not fall into the trap that we will all fall into naturally. Look at verse 34. He says, be careful or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing and drunkenness and the anxieties of life. And that day will close in on you suddenly like a trap. 
For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. I mean, just just ask yourself, why does anybody get drunk? Why does anybody get drunk or carouse or blow off our responsibilities or, or get really anxious about life? I know none of us can relate to any of those examples. You'll have to put your head in somebody else's space for a minute. Why does anybody do that? I'm joking. Why does anybody face those things? Maybe... Maybe it's the same reason that so many of us are going to turn to the same things this Christmas season if we're not careful. Maybe it's the same reason that so many of us inherently turn to these things during the season of Christmas. We're, we're faced with stress because we've got to get the right presents and put up the decorations and navigate these increasingly tense family relationships. Not to mention, as I look out at this room, I know many of you are thinking about who isn't with us this Christmas. And when I think about that, I think, man, (laughs) you really can't blame a person for wanting to drink too much, can you? We can't be a place of judgment here. Of course we'd want to do that or, or get anxious if your drug of choice isn't a bottle or or maybe yours is, is the carousing one, right? Getting into the parties and the shopping and the traditions over the top. Don't worry about the credit card bill. That'll come in January because really it's your drug because really you're just using it as a way of hiding. When Jesus explains the hope that he explains in this passage, he looks to the world who is listening to him and he is looking to you and I and he says, I get it, but not you. Not you. You don't turn to these things. The reason why is because you are prepared. You are prepared to face whatever the challenges might be in heaven and on earth with your eyes to the heavens. Jesus is coming back. And the harder life gets, the the tighter you cling to that hope and that truth. He will return just like he came the first time as a baby in a manger. And just like then, he will come whether you and I are prepared or not. But just as I learned by putting up my Christmas lights early this year, being prepared doesn't change what's coming but it does change our experience. It doesn't change what's coming, but it does change our experience. In Jesus, pain is temporary. He promises that. But our hope is eternal. And knowing that will not just take the pain away, but it will give you hope that will outlast the pain. And friends, that is a hope that isn't just true on Christmas. Generations before Jesus would even be conceived in the womb of the mother Mary, the psalmist wrote these words, Psalm 121, and I want you to maybe even just close your eyes and listen to these words, which is a poetic prayer by the psalmist. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. 
He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time on and forevermore. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are with us always. Your promise is that that would be so to the very end of the age, which is only the beginning of the eternal life to come. That in your grand plan, you came to this earth to be born as an infant in a manger, not for the picturesque opportunity that we have to tell the story of a God who would become a child, but that this is just the beginning. Lord God, that you would come and become one of us, that you might face every pain, every trial, every hurt, every challenge. And then you would grow up and you would live to die and to choose a death that you did not deserve but a death that is inevitable to each and every one of us. And you would take it upon yourself so that when you would return, death itself would be defeated once and for all. And for ways in which we will never fully comprehend, the only way that you could fix death and therefore all things that are broken and evil in this world, the only way was for you to come. For you to become one of us. For you to experience our pain and our challenges and how hopeless this world can feel. And for you to come and go through all of that for you to cry outside the tomb of your friend Lazarus, for you to look down at your mother as you died and hand her well-being off to a friend. God, there isn't a trial that any of us face this Christmas that you have not experienced. Which is why you tell us in this world there will be trouble, but that is not the way that that statement ends. You say, I have overcome the world. Take heart that when the end comes, the shaking of the earth itself will be like spring. It will be like leaves growing on a tree. And as the rest of the world is afraid, we look to the sky with hope because it tells us that you're coming and you're here. You will rescue us. And our holy task in this moment is we have gathered as the people of God on the first Sunday of Advent as Christians are gathering as the people of God all across the world. Our task 
is not to usher that moment in. It will happen in your time. It is not to be able to, to try to discern or understand the prophecies. It will come when it comes like a thief in the night. Our job, our task, what you have placed before us to do between this moment and when you come back or take us home is to be prepared. Help us to be prepared. And Lord, help us to be prepared as we gather around this feast table. As we open our eyes, we remember what this meal represents for us who believe. Every week as we gather around this table, it's like 